Greetings, and welcome back to ZachCast, your official podcast for local government nerdery of all sorts. I'm Chad, that's Pat, and we are back to talk about some retail sales, talk about Halloween, talk about those mighty Texas Rangers maybe a little bit, one game away from a World Series championship. Uh, Pat, I had to move last minute into a a new secure location here to record this episode, and um, it's unfortunate because at my desk, I have a a baseball that's signed by John Smoltz. It was given to me by my aunt and uncle, like, I don't know, 25 years ago. And uh, it's sitting on my desk because um, all of my autographed baseballs have been moved away from where my kids can get them after one of them found a Nolan Ryan signed ball and then left it out and it got eaten up by a dog. So they're all like safe and secure. Yeah, safe and secure in my office. And I look at this John Smoltz ball every day because it's just sitting right there. And over the past couple of weeks, every time I see it, it just makes me so angry because I don't know if he, I don't know how much you've been watching the actual uh, TV broadcasts, but this guy just hates the Rangers. <laughs> like, <laughs> last night we're winning ten to one, and he's talking about what an advantage Arizona is going to have in Game Seven because Scherzer's out and we have no pitcher. It's like, dude, yeah, give me a break. I don't think it's going to get to a Game Seven at this point. I, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Rangers to to lose. But uh, I'm also trying to jinx the Rangers as an Astros fan. I, I really am not super happy about the Rangers making to the World Series. My Astros choked mightily in the last two games of the ALCS. So uh, I also want to mention the room that you were in uh, is your your TV movie room within your house. It right? Is. And uh, I have to stare at a full <laughs> life-size cardboard cutout of Nicolas Cage from what movie? What movie is this, <laughs> this cut out? I have no idea what movie it's from. Okay. But for, for whatever reason, about, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, my wife and I just decided that we were going to watch every single Nicolas Cage movie ever. And um, I'm not, if you're not familiar with his story, Pat, he had some financial troubles. He did, yeah. And so uh, he is basically making every B movie that you could possibly imagine, except that they're all pretty much the same movie, mm-hmm. um, same stories, just kind of slightly different settings and time periods and things like that. So they're all really terrible, except for uh, a couple that have come out recently. Um, there was a movie called Pig, where he was a he owned a truffle pig. Yes. That was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And then there was a movie where he worked at some kind of like roller rink and he didn't speak for the entire movie pretty much. Yeah. So those were kind of, those are different and, and quite enjoyable. But like in his own like weird indie way, it's kind of made him more famous as an actor than it would have. Cause he's kind of got this cult following now because of him doing all these B rate films. Like people just go watch these films because they're like, okay, what's the crazy Nicolas Cage we're going to get now. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I so think I, that's, that's interesting. I also want to start this podcast because one of my favorite instructors in Peloton starts the podcast by saying what they're wearing. So I just want everybody to know I'm wearing a uh, off blue, um, you know, shirt, polo shirts and gray shorts. Anybody in the Peloton world, if you can email me who that instructor is, I'll send you something nice. <laughs> Okay, but, then for the record, I am wearing a beautiful retro red Texas Rangers jacket. Uh-huh. That's, and it, it hurts me. And you're wearing it on purpose, by the way. 100%. And underneath well, yeah. that is a solidly burnt orange. My wife would say that you clash in those colors, my friend. But uh, I don't care. 
what is it? What is the burn orange t-shirt you have underneath there? It's just a light long sleeve undershirt. It's not a, not a Texas shirt. Okay. So, uh, and, and the Oklahoma loss does give your team, uh, you know, a shot now at, at some major prominence. I guess you would have had to win the big 12 championship anyways, but yeah. yeah, it's very, very sad in the world of Oklahoma over there, but it's still you two guys going. If you went out, I think at this point had a little trouble with yeah. the Cougars there. Both Cougars, U of H Cougars, BYU Cougars. Shout out to Michael. You you want? I know that we haven't potted this football season, but if you want to get into this, maybe we should save it for the end because I got plenty to say. Okay, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll I'll save it to the end. I'm I'm also going to save to the end the text message you sent. Uh, you know, Michael's worked with us for like six months, so we're gonna we're gonna go into that one for a little bit because I never even <laughs> responded to that text message, but I did find it quite hysterical. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, Hey, let's, let's jump into believe our, you're going to call me out of here. I am going to call you out on the podcast. Cause call I know Michael out. listens to it too. And I think it's really funny. Um, <laughs> so. Okay. Real quick. I can do a segue here. Yeah. What do you got? So speaking of all of the Nicholas cage movies that you have to rent, if you want to be an avid cult follower, I think that my wife and I have probably contributed about 5% to the GDP growth just in our rentals of Nicholas cage movies. But you may have some different information to talk about as far as uh, retail sales and stuff like that goes. Yeah. So great article uh, that I ran across uh, just earlier this week, uh, looking specifically at retail sales. Now, we've had a lot of conversations uh, with uh, with cities um, and had those conversations about the softening of retail sales. A lot of cities are noticing within their sales tax returns that retail sales are getting quite soft. And in some cases, those retail sales are turning a bit negative. Really good article. Uh, that we are going to post in the show notes. It's an article from The Street. Uh, anybody who knows uh, Jim Cramer, which is uh, you know always an interesting character on CNBC. Um, yeah, I want you to tell this story while basically yelling. <laughs> Correct. About- sell, sell, sell. That Jim Cramer. Uh, and so, uh, but the the Street doesn't. If you can, if you can like grab up here and start pulling your hair out too it, while you're exactly so you know frustration. Everybody knows that it's crazy. So. Uh, but retail stocks right now, unless you're in the world of Amazon or Walmart, uh, pretty standard, what I would consider like recessionary buys within the retail side. Um, there's not really a safe place to be unless you're in you know, more of those like recessionary stocks. I'm not saying we're in a recession uh, and I'm not saying we're moving towards a recession. In fact, my weekly recession index has, has dropped below 50%. Uh, after the five percent growth last quarter, after the five percent growth last quarter, I'm like, well, maybe you know, inflation and growth can kind of get back on track. We'll see. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that I think we're going to see some stalling in sales tax uh, specifically, so uh, or sales tax growth. And that's what this article goes after. This article talks specifically about what's happening and softening in the retail sector. Uh, so not only retail, but in travel and entertainment as well. Uh, what we're seeing is just a lack of overall consumption, uh, a lack of buying power that's occurring. Uh, and there's a couple of cool charts in this article that we'll post in the show notes for you guys to look at as well. Uh, but mainly, you know, looking at this from a standpoint of what the actual amount of savings we had uh, in March of 20 versus what we have now. So um, during basically the peak of the pandemic, uh, Americans had $3.4 trillion uh, in savings. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, obviously it's due to stimulus. And uh, But even in March of 20, we didn't have a lot of stimulus yet, um, but we had a lot of lockup. People started saving about 34, 35% of their income uh, at a time. And that savings rate in June of 23 has now fallen to 
uh, one trillion. Uh, and J.P. Morgan Chase made uh, a pretty strong statement that said uh, American savings should sh- largely be exhausted by 2024. Uh, important even as uh, basically the second quarter of 23, nearly all inflation-adjusted excess cash sits at a uh, with the relatively affluent. So basically your top 20% of earners. They actually put together a, another chart with this article that they they stole from Jim Cramer, who stole from Carl uh, Quintanilla. Uh, and and I probably just butchered Carl's name. You want to you pronounce it correctly? Uh, no, I'm going to let you sit on that one. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody wants to correct me on that, that's fine. I should have been able to do that being a Houston kid. You are from South Texas. I am from I South Texas. You to I, be able to. I'm so happy that you respect my origin. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, but- this looks at uh, the inflation-adjusted excess liquidity that's held uh, by consumers and where they fall within the consumer chart. So, uh, basically, if you make between you know twenty to sixty percent of the income threshold or income level, uh, if you're in the bottom twenty percent, uh, or if you're uh, in the um, Sorry, I'm missing one. If you're in the 60 to 80% range. So if you're not in the top 20% of earners, right? This is saying that in June of 23, you either were consuming the same that you were in March of 20, or you're consuming about 5% less than you were in March of 20, right? So I read this chart a little bit differently. Okay, go for it. I read it to say that outside of the top 20% of income earners, the excess liquidity is back to what it was in March 2020. Not that they're spending less. Correct. But this basically they've exhausted all the savings gains that they had since the pandemic started. Yeah, it's but it is adjusted by the the personal consumption, right? They're on the right side of the chart. So the percentage well, change in inflation adjusted uh, liquid assets, right? The liquid right, assets. So, that's kind of, so they have they have more nominal dollars in savings now, but when you adjust for inflation, it's the same. Actually, for the bottom. Bottom 20%. 40% of income yeah. earners, the bottom 40%, it is almost 5% lower yep. than it was when the, when the pandemic started. And for the, what is that, 20 to 60% income earners, it's basically back where it was in March of 2020. Correct. So JP Morgan is saying that the only people who have more savings after adjusting for inflation compared to March 2020 is the top 20% of income earners. Which holds most of that $1 trillion in savings is basically what they're right. saying, right? Um, and so what, what does this mean from a retail sales perspective? Well, if there's not available cash and there's not available liquidity for consumption, it means we're going to have a slowdown in consumption in anybody that's below that basically top 20% threshold, right? So um, you're going to see less sales. Now, What's crazy is the amount of consumption that happens from the top 20% compared to the amount of consumption that happens for everybody below that amount. So is this going to be like a, a crash of, you know, like 2009 proportions, like 18, 20% drops in retail sales? I, I don't think so. I think what we're seeing right now is, you know, four to 6% um, in what I would consider to be softening or reductions in sales tax. I had a couple of conversations with cities this week after the October data was posted uh, you know, where they're seeing those reductions and they they just seem to be a softening in that sector. Once again, it's mentioned in this chart, I think it's important, but you know, your 
recessionary retailers uh, that are you know a little bit more recession proof, like your WalMarts, uh, your TJ Maxx's, uh, your Costco's, your Amazon's, uh, those folks are are not seeing those same declines in spending and consumption. Uh, I'm not sure Amazon's really considered a recessionary, other than the fact that Amazon just continues to grow in market share, and I think that kind of hits it as well. So, um, I would say it is because it's just constantly adding even more really poorly made goods through its marketplace. Yeah, true. And, and like it's yeah. really hard now to find either name brand things or like high quality things mm-hmm. um, at those lower lower prices. Everything is just like some cheap knockoff. Yeah, crap. absolutely. And and it's I think that's a topic for another conversation to really jump into that. But but even then, like I uh I needed a air pressure inflator for my truck for my tires, right? It got cold this week um in Texas. And so, you know, obviously I lost air pressure and I, you know, I kind of got tired of like using the old pressure thing and then having to test the pressure and separating it. So I went and bought like one of those $20 ones that has the gauge on it uh, as you fill it, which is kind of nice. I looked for it on Amazon and on Amazon it was like 40 bucks and I went to Walmart and it was like 1888. Right. So um I, I find it very interesting that um Amazon prices are not as competitive as they were a couple of years ago, at least in my consuming world. Right. It's you're paying for convenience now with Amazon. Um and their pricing is not always as competitive. Yeah. Unless you want to buy something really crappy. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. But, you know, and there used to be, you know, great things like Amazon basic sheets were, were kind of nice, right? Uh, and, you know, I think Amazon's talking about getting rid of a lot of their their own in-house brands, right? So the basics brands and some of the other stuff that they had like on the sporting side and and that um, that world, they're, they're talking about actually getting out of that business altogether. I think it's more for antitrust issues than it is for business side, uh, but mm-hmm. I think they're they're concerned about the antitrust issues. So going back to the JP Morgan commentary, um, they're suggesting that this excess household liquidity could be exhausted in the next six months. And since it's already been exhausted for the bottoms, what, 80% of income earners, you know, it's true that quite a bit of consumption consumption happens at the top end of the income scale. But if over the next six months, even that gets exhausted, mm-hmm. then where does that put us heading into the, like the second half of next fiscal year? And moving into the budget uh, process for 2025. Well, I think that's going to be interesting, right? If you if you look at the politics in Washington, and I don't want to get too political here, but if you look in the politics of Washington, there's there's been some changes specifically within the Republican leadership of the House. That's going to get really interesting. You know, whether you like Mike Johnson or you don't like Mike Johnson. Uh, yeah, I know, boogeyman, <laughs> having a conversation the day after Halloween here about politics, and and I I really am not taking a side on this. I want to be very clear. But you know, look, there's I have been no a, opinion. Yeah, I, there's been a lot of labeling of who Mike Johnson. <laughs> so I tell is. my wife all the time. But if you if you read what he's written and what he's talked about since he's become the House Speaker, uh, he has spe- specifically talked about deficit reform and spending reform. Right. So it's going to get real interesting as we get into the next fiscal year. He sounded a lot like Paul Ryan in some of the conversations. Yeah, but Paul Ryan had both houses of Congress. That's that's and correct. the White House. And he still couldn't get it done. So at the end of the day, I still you know, we still didn't, you know, do it. But at some point from a and I'm talking to local government officials, right, that don't budget into um into deficits. Like, you know, we balance budget every year and uh, a lot of states have balanced budget uh, you know, constitutional amendments and things like that. 
Um, but the federal government is, what are we currently spending a year in deficit? What is our current federal deficit spending? It's several trillion dollars. Two, maybe? I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, there was, I saw an article recently. There's this huge issue about some accounting changes with related to the, um, the student loan forgiveness proposal. Because that had originally been booked in the previous fiscal year, and then the Supreme Court squashed it, and then so it's getting rebooked in the current year. And so, like, basically, the the deficit growth is a lot higher than it looks like on paper. Interesting. But I think it's I think it's around two trillion. The last time I saw, it's a little less than two trillion. So the federal government in FY twenty three brought in six point one three trillion, or had sorry spent six point one three trillion dollars and collected four point four four trillion in revenue. Resulting in a deficit, so you know, obviously, resulting in a deficit of a little less than two trillion yeah. uh, in FY twenty three. So, but at some point, they're going to have to get a handle on the deficit spending, right? It's either it's it's pretty simple. It's either raise taxes or cut spending. It's it's one or the other. So, and we're going to have to figure out which one that's going to be uh, at some point. So, uh, it's it's going to be yeah with five six percent uh, rates on treasuries. Adding two trillion dollars a year is going to be tough. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, there's there's crazy numbers of what our interest expense is right now versus our GDP growth. And I mean, those charts are just psycho to look at. Um, you know, and I mean, it's look, it's it's not like we haven't been here before. Like, let's let's be clear. What you're shaking your head? No, we've we've never been to this point before. Uh, let me look. So World War II debt to G- debt to GDP is higher than it's ever been. I'm pretty confident. Oh, you were 100 percent correct on that. Um, interest we, expense to GDP is probably higher than it's ever been. So the percentage of gross domestic product of where debt held by the public uh, projected to grow faster than GDP is at a is at a point in 2020 that is very similar to World War II. That's the historical high right now. It will surpass that World War II level. If this continues, uh, it looks about like 2028. So, and, you know, after World War II, we had what some of the highest tax rates we've ever had historically as a country, right? I think that's the history. Yeah, people didn't, I mean, they weren't paying 90% marginal taxes, but yes, we did have on paper extremely high tax rates at the upper end. But we also were in a situation where basically the entire world was broken except for America. Correct. Uh, but right. but since 2010, right, the 2007-2009 through nine financial crisis, since that point, uh, we've seen just a, a, a huge significant increase of debt to GDP, right? It's, it's a sharp curve there. And this information, by the way, is coming from the General uh, Accounting Office, GAO. So um, fun stuff. Got to love Google. Got there quick. So I just think, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to hit a wall, right? I think that's what JP Morgan Chase is saying in their statement is consumers are going to hit a wall and consumers are going to hit a wall for a multitude of reasons. I'm not saying that people's finances are going to crash and there's going to be, you know, extreme layoffs and we're going to see a recession that, you know, because I, I, I really honestly do not believe at this point, I think our possibility is, you know, less than 50% that we're going to see a recession 24 and 25. Um, so, but at the same time, interest rates are, you know, high. They're not historically high, but they're high. Uh, and so it's just, it's, it's going to be very, there's not going to be consumer credit for people to go after there either. 
right? Mm-hmm. So the one thing that so the rates themselves are not historically high, right? But when you uh, when you account for the price of the things that those rates are purchasing, mm-hmm. it adds a li- a little bit different context, right? Like eighteen percent interest rates on a house that's like one and a half times your income is different than an eight percent interest rate on a house that's five times your income. That's appreciated significantly more than what CPI would have appreciated within that period, right? right. So that, that's that's important to talk about because the the buying power of a house is different. So the interest cost of that house is also significantly higher than it would have been if that rate was that in 2005 or 2006, right? Because the house in right. 2005 I mean, yeah. and 2006 was significantly cheaper even when you look at uh, you know CPI growth. We're, we're still running way above that. You sent me something on that the other day or we talked about that the other day. It was probably also another text message that I didn't respond to, but I did like the chart. <laughs> yeah, it was a website that I found. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it's just the Case Shiller Case Shiller Index, though. Um, basically, in the run up to the housing bubble from 2000 to like mid 2007, the Case Shiller Index up here in the Tex- Dallas Texas region went up like 26 percent over the past 10 years. It's gone up like 123 percent in home value in home cost, right? Yeah, yeah. So. And CPI during that same period of time was significantly less than that. That's kind of the point that I was making. And so, yeah, we're paying you know seven or eight percent interest rates on home mortgages, but you're paying that on a home mortgage that actually costs fifty percent more than it did then, even when adjusted for inflation. Right. That's kind of what I was pointing out. So yeah, it's kind of like tax capitalization, right? High taxes are going to have the effect of keeping. Your property values down, mm-hmm. so there's always this chicken and egg argument about: Is our do we have high taxes because our property values are low, or our property values kept lower because our taxes are so high? And those things kind of balance out, right? It's the same kind of effect that when when rates are high but prices are lower, right? You can kind of manage, but when rates are high and prices are high, then you're in a bad spot. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's, you know, but once again, from what JP Morgan Chase is saying, second quarter of 24, and, you know, what we're talking about here, there's a lot of headwinds that are going to impact consumers, yeah. which means you're not going to continue to see the hyper growth in retail sales tax dollars yeah. that you've seen over the past two to three years, right? So, uh, you know, we probably need to get back to normal projections. We start needed, you know, we need to be paying better attention to the, you know, 18 over 36 uh, revenue growth charts. I'm seeing a lot of lines coming together now. Uh, you know, those type of things that, uh, you know, that are just precursors to to making changes. I think it's very important not to make any rash adjustments or decisions at this point. I'm really curious to see what the November, December, right, sales are, which we're not going to see until February and March. Uh, but I think in February and March, it's going to be very telling what we get financially and sales tax returns from those two months. Man, this is, we should have recorded this yesterday. Why? It's a Halloween episode. Oh, I'm not yes. being that scary. <laughs> now it's post Halloween episode. <laughs> so, but so speaking of Halloween, I want to wrap this up with a little bit of a lighter item. Not really something that I had thought about myself too much, but I saw a lot of commentary, or as the the people say these days, a lot of discourse on the social medias about trunk or treat. Mainly on the Twitter. 
right? This doesn't. Yes, yeah, as this, I won't call it. We, X. we will never call it X on this program. Yeah, because that's exactly. Stupid. So, but Twitter. This is mainly on Twitter because these type of conversations are not had on the Book of Faces. That is true because yes, the Facebook, <laughs> the demographic of Facebook is not concerned about trunk or treat because most of them, their kids are <laughs> their kids have kids. Yes, I feel like we so. have to either call Facebook the Facebook or the Book of Faces. Just drop the the. No, the Facebook was the original. Anyway, name. it was www.thefacebook.com. I know. Yeah. The Facebook. But I, I'm just referencing that iconic scene in yes. the social network movie where he says, Justin Timberlake says, Yeah. Drop the the. Just Facebook. Anyway, you know what's cool? What? A billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I should watch that movie again. I like to listen to that soundtrack when I'm trying to get into a flow state. Like when I'm trying to get into the zone at work, I will put that soundtrack on because it's just kind of chill and ominous and just kind of keeps me focused. But um, anyway, so Trunk or Treat, right? For those not familiar with Trunk or Treat, it is a phenomenon where kids will be driven to parking lots and then they will walk through a sea of cars that have their trunks open to dole out candy. How many trunk or treats did you go to with the family this year? Just one at the school. Okay. But it was raining, so we actually had to go inside the cafeteria. Okay. I don't know where it started. My guess is it probably started with churches as like a safe place, you know, where the kids can go and not have like super spooky things. You can kind of control the environment. Um I've been to, we've been over the years to several trunk or treats at churches. Mm -hmm. But the broader argument that was being made is are trunk or treats a signal that we've basically just given up on building safe, walkable neighborhoods? Right. You think about what trick or treat used to be. And I actually, there's an interesting article or a podcast, Stuff You Should Know. They talked about, uh, how does trick-or-treating work and like the history of trick-or-treating. And one of the interesting things they talked about was how it was used for the longest time as like an opportunity for kids to be grown-ups for a night, right? Like it's still kind of a controlled environment, but they wouldn't be able to go out on their own, walk the streets, have that level of responsibility where they weren't under sort of constant supervision. And even in regular trick-or-treating, which we've done two separate rounds this year. There are very few kids that you see that are just running around on their own. But ramping that up is trunk or treat, where it's not even that like the kids are being able to walk around the neighborhood with their parents. It's like, no, we're driving you to this very secure and, and sanitized location so that you can walk eight feet from parking space to parking space and get candy out of the back of someone's car. Like, it's just maybe the epitome of sort of car centric community design. So I don't, yeah. So I'm just throwing that out there at you to see what you think. So I, I live in a larger lot community, you know, one of those, what we would consider not profitable for the city type communities. <laughs> so, uh, especially when there's no property, no tax. property tax. And, <laughs> and I, not only do we highly dislike cul-de-sacs, uh, within our normal jobs, but I live on a double cul-de-sac, right? So, um, I have to say, I made that decision in 2013, actually 2012, when I signed the contract on my house uh, to be built, and uh, that decision was made well before I truly understood the financial dynamics of the of the neighborhood. Well, the thing is, living on a cul-de-sac is different 
than being the city responsible for maintaining the cul-de-sac, yes. right? Live, I lived on cul-de-sacs growing up, and they're wonderful. Um, if all you care about is having like an area where no one drives, because there's only four people on the cul-de-sac, so you go out and play baseball yeah, or whatever. I, I think in general, in it's not just the walkability that we've lost; it's also just the the neighborly feel that we've lost, right? Social media has done that as well. Like, I always find it interesting that people will say something to a neighbor on a community Facebook page that they would never say to them face-to-face in their front yard, right? So I think we've just lost that. I'm surprised at how much politics gets injected into those neighborhood pages. Oh, it's it's crazy. And not only that, it... Um, and not, not like local politics, but like national politics. Like yeah, over the like, next year, like it's going to be... You can't even really go on those pages because people are just arguing about the presidential election. It's like... This is a neighborhood Facebook page, guys. Yeah, correct. And you know, I, I I'm always very careful in my social media not to post like, "Hey, I believe in this." Right? I occasionally will post something that's factual. So the other day, somebody posted on one of our community pages about okay. a, a road bond election that's occurring in the county that I live in, and that a specific area was getting no benefit from that road bond election as in there were no projects there. And, and I was like, well, that's factually incorrect. And so I just went on there and posted all three of the projects that specifically impacted that area. But getting back to my original point, people don't talk to each other anymore. They don't sit in their front yards. It's, we have like this get off my lawn culture now that, that has occurred. Right. And I think that plays a role in some of that as well, that, you know, maybe not everybody's super friendly. I will say super impressed with my neighborhood. It, it was really good this year. In our neighborhood, we walk, we don't have sidewalks, but we walk house to house. The parents kind of hang out in the street and the kids just run through yards, right? From house to house. Um, and those parents hang out in the street with with Yetis that uh, in our community, uh, Yeti means alcoholic beverage. So <laughs> anytime you have one of those in your hand, it's an alcoholic beverage. Uh, and they go, I dressed up for Halloween. Did you dress up for Halloween? Uh, no, really. I don't dress up for Halloween because I'm... A forty-year-old man. Uh, so. I'm I'm 39, so I really can still dress up. So thank you very much for that. Um, you, did you see a picture of of what I dressed up as? Mario uh, Bowser. Bowser right? Yeah. So yeah. my kids were Mario yeah, and Luigi. My wife was uh, Peaches, and I was Bowser. So did you sing the song? I I sang the song, and I had a Bluetooth speaker that was playing the whole time on you. repeat. Yeah, Peaches, 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 Peaches. Jack Black. It's a great song. If you if, if you don't have kids and you haven't seen that movie. Uh, I'll be shocked if it's you have movie. kids and you haven't seen that movie. But if if you have not seen the Mario movie, you have to go see it. It's actually a really good movie, and Jack Black does an incredible job uh, in that movie. So as Bowser, but uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I get your point. Like you know, communities we haven't really built communities that are as walkable anymore. But man, I think it's more cultural. I think that. I mean, I just really do. I I think. You know, we built communities like this in sprawl areas in the seventies and the eighties. And when I was a kid, trick or treating was huge and it was fine. But well, think about like ET. Yeah. Right. ET is in sprawl, is that LA? I think it's at, or at least somewhere in Southern yeah. California. And those kids get off on their bikes and run around and they have an alien with them. Mm-hmm. I think that they the issue with the cultural aspect of our communities is I don't think it's fair to say, well, in the 70s and 80s, we had the same type of sprawl neighborhoods that we have now, but we had the freedom to go do those things, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
I pro- yeah, like during the summer, I would go off my bike and ride over to my friend's house, and we would just go all over the neighborhood. Like there's a big park with a creek, and we would just go out there all day. Right? We didn't have cell phones. We had no way for our parents to get a hold of us, and we would do that. My parents grew up in the '60s and '70s, where that was even more mm-hmm. tolerated. Right? And I but I think that there's a compounding effect uh, over time, like from generation to generation, where those that clamp kind of comes a little bit tighter as we go down. It's almost like multiplicity, right? Like a clone of a clone by the third Michael Keaton. Like he's got issues. Yes. <laughs> you know? I think we're in like the fifth generation now of this. Um, and I think that it's having a compounding effect. Like I have to actively struggle to let my children um, have the same kind of freedoms that I had growing up because I think there is a cultural aspect of it, but even knowing that cultural aspect exists, I still have to fight against it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, once again, just to hit on my same point, I think social media culture has a lot to do with that, right? Uh, because like my kids run around like banshees in the neighborhood. Uh, I ran around, you know, just to your point, we used to take Red Rider BB guns and have BB gun wars and shoot each other with Red Riders at the bayou. We didn't right? shoot each other, but we would go out in the woods and shoot stuff. <laughs> yeah, we would we would shoot each other, and I did get shot in the eye one time, uh, but my eye is still here. It's good news. Um, we were highly irresponsible. You know, same thing. We would, you know, play street football, right? And everybody would yell car when a car came and, and things like mm-hmm. that. So game on. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, my kids are, I would say, uh, you know, my kids go out for hours upon hours. You know, Saturday afternoon when we don't have something going on, they could be gone for like six hours right at in the neighborhood playing with the neighborhood kids but man every once in a while you'll get a stay off my lawn type who will post on social media a picture of a group of 15 kids and how obnoxiously loud and rude they are and i'm just like wow you know you you kind of the, the kids didn't say anything to them but they're just loud and somebody yells outside yeah. for them to be quieter uh and i'm like they're outside in the street playing a game and it's just in the middle of the day, in the middle of a day. And it's just not something that somebody would say directly to a kid to be quiet. Like you go to social media to say that instead of just saying, Hey guys, I'm trying to sleep because I work nights. I remember growing up, we had a guy who did that same thing. Right. Um, and so we would always play on the street next door because he worked nights, but you don't walk out there and tell those kids, you just act like those are the worst kids in the world because they play outside all day. Um, yeah. you know, so I, I think culture is just, it's changed a lot on that and it's, it's going to take yeah, a reverse mindset to fix that. I think there used to be a little bit more of an understanding that like the kids that are playing in the street aren't just the responsibility of their parents, but like you can take an active level of responsibility for those kids mm-hmm. too. We definitely don't have that anymore. That's like that, that trust does not yeah. exist. And I don't know if it's because the individuals don't feel like they have the right to do that. Right. Like if someone's, if if the kids are doing something dangerous or loud or whatever in the street and they're not your kids, I feel like when I was growing up, if a parent or a neighbor was like gardening in the front yard, like they would yell at us to stop being stupid. Yeah. Right. Or being dangerous. Right. I don't think that would happen anymore, at least in most places. Like in my experience, it wouldn't. I, I know that we had, real quick, we had a, this was probably like eight or 10 years ago. It was right after we moved to this neighborhood. And we had some kids who would like walk through the neighborhood and they, they just would put like plastic forks in people's like on the side of the yards or like in front of neighborhood or in front of mailboxes. 
And I sw- to be clear, that's called that's called forking people. Okay, well, I swear to God, some of the people thought that this was like a satanic ritual, and that these houses were being marked for either robbery or like some kind of you know awful thing, and they would post about it on the Facebook page. Like, I saw these forks in my yard. Is my house going to get robbed? It's like, guys, seriously. Uh, I, I think let it go, Elsa. <laughs> let it go. Um, I mean, look the. I find it funny that we've had like two really good movies, you know, one Clint Eastwood movie and then one Tom Hanks movie that's come out that really symbolizes this, like get off my lawn culture. Right. Um, And, and honestly, it's, it's just, I don't understand somebody who buys into a neighborhood that's not restricted for kids and then gets mad about kids playing on a street. Like for me, I just, and I, and to be clear, like, the street that I live on is great. We actually have a couple of retired couples that love the kids and love on my kids. Um, my youngest came home the other day and I forgot to open the garage and he knew to go next door to one of those retired couples and hang out. And she made him a snack and sent me a text and let him know that, Hey, garage door malfunctioned. He couldn't get it open. And, and so, you know, but like, it's great to have those type of neighbors. Um, but we do see more and more often that people don't interact with people. Um, uh, and, and I mean, we used to see it in the city side too, right? Like we'd get a code enforcement complaint and it was more of like a neighborly complaint. And we would always say, always say, have you talked to that neighbor yet? And they would always feel, well, I mean, that's just, uh, that's, that's, and I'm job. like, no, it's, it's not, it's not my job. It's, you can also be super passive aggressive. Like, Hey neighbor, you might not have time to mow your yard. Would you like me to do it for you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like, man, I, I know that people are not as blunt as i am in life um but if you don't like something and there's a difference between not liking something and being able to deal with something but if you don't like something and you feel like it's really disturbing for you just have a conversation it's that it's that simple um i mean i had a simple conversation with one of my neighbors when they moved in because they built a fence and they decided to put all the nasty rail on the outside of the fence and and i was like hey you know that's not really appropriate to build your fence that way you know and I said, at least on my side, I'd love it to be double-sided and I'll pay for the double side of the fence so that I don't have to look at it. And, you know, my neighbor didn't make me pay for it uh, and they did it, but it's just like simple things like that. Like when you live in a neighborhood, you kind of have to be accountable to neighbors. You know, you have to make sure that you're not doing things that are disturbing your neighbors. Uh, yeah. We just pushed a lot of that through more formal institutions that don't work very well. Like whether it's HOAs or up to the city, right? Like we've pushed them up, we've pushed those conflicts up to let other people do it. And typically, yeah, in many cases, to people who are paid to do it so that we don't have to have those conflicts ourselves and build those kinds of relationships. Yes, I would 100% agree with that. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell a now, little bit I've, of a story uh, here, ahead. and it's, this may lengthen us out a okay. little bit, but. You kind of hit a topic there, which I think is very important in today's world. Um, we don't teach people how to conflict, uh, how how to have conflict resolution in today's world, right? We teach people how to live in conflict. We teach them how to be very passive within conflict, but we don't teach them actually how to resolve that conflict well. Um, give you a prime example. I've, I've got a, uh, a son who is very active. He's just like me. He's basically a carbon copy of me. and um, you know, he did not, basically he was, he thought he was doing something that was correct. And when his teacher corrected him, he sighed and rolled his eyes. 
and the teacher sent an email. Uh, and that email was basically, this is inappropriate that he sighed and rolls his eyes. And my first response was, well, did you tell him it was inappropriate that he sighed and rolls his eyes? And the answer was no. So even figures of authority don't actually confront the issue. They go directly to, mm-hmm. and, and we love this teacher, right? We love the person that she is. And we're super appreciative of her teaching. And my wife works in education as well. Um, but it's just, it's, it's like, it's those little things that happen. And, you know, the comment that I made to the teacher is look, I'm, I'm raising a kid to stand up for who he is, stand up for himself, because I think that's going to be the sellable attribute, right? Just like coding is going to be super important for people in the future, being able to confront and have hard conversations and do difficult things is going to be something that not a lot of people are going to have in this future generation, the ability to do. There's my soapbox. I'll get off now. So one thing I've never understood about the fencing thing, yes, it's uglier to like see the rails, but if you put them on the outside, then people can jump your fence and get into your yard. Most cities, yeah. Most cities have ordinances that require right? the like I've, smooth side to be out, right? And the city that I live in and used to work in has that ordinance yeah. as well. But yeah, you're, you're right. I've just never understood why you would want that part to be on the outside. Like if you make it harder, <laughs> the purpose of the fence is for like privacy and security, right? Yeah. Don't make it easy for someone to jump over it. Well, in, in the wind capital of Texas of Parker County that we, that I live in, right. I've never understood privacy fences to begin with. Like anybody who has a privacy fence in my neighborhood has lost it every two years. It gets knocked down steel poles, no steel poles. It doesn't matter. The privacy fence gets knocked down. So what about the, um, the ones that have like the double, like the it's double-sided, but uh, and it, yeah, they it's don't they don't get knocked they so don't like, get knocked so down near as much. And those are actually really cool looking fences, uh, you know. But yeah, you're right; they don't get knocked down very much. I have one privacy, like one section of privacy fence on my property, and it's it's for my pool equipment because I don't want my neighbors to have to look at my pool equipment. Uh, and that fence I constantly have to maintain because every time we have a straight line wind event, which is like 40 times a year in Parker County, I have to go and and you know fix the slats that came off of that fence. So. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it, it is tough. I want to get, I want to wrap this conversation up though, with what I started in the beginning of this, of this call, which is, or the beginning of this podcast. So we have a new employee who's been with us for over six months, right? It's technically not new and he has not fully experienced. Ch- he's passed his, probationary he's passed his period. probationary period. Yes. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, Michael. Um, but he has not experienced the full Chad college football Saturday experience, right? The highs and lows of whether Texas is good or bad, you know, um, whether you want to fire a coach or keep a coach, uh, all of that jazz and, and just the utter, and you have gotten better at this, I will say. And I think it's mainly because you have other things like kids that keep you busy in life uh, that keep you away from it. Uh, I, I am fearful when you're in your late, 50s and 60s and we're hanging out and watching college football that you'll go right back into it. But the utter elation and depression that you have when it comes to college football, right? When and it could be play to play. It can't be. <laughs> so I, I've done a lot better over the past couple of years just because the past decade has been so hard as a Texas yes. fan. Um my absolute low point wasn't even that first Kansas loss with Charlie Strong. That was more befuddlement 
I think my absolute low point was a couple of weeks later when we lost to Kansas State because I was at your house. Um, we were watching football that that afternoon, and it was just so bad. I just went and sat down behind the couch on <laughs> that little trampoline thing that your kids had. Yeah, just with my head in my hands, like I couldn't even. Yeah, I, I think couldn't even cope with it anymore. I I think it's 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 very fun to watch. The, like the text strings. I wish I would like keep snapshots of your text strings on you know, from like 10 years ago to, to now when it comes to college football. And Doug has been on those text rings now for probably the same 10 years, right? He's, he's been on that for a while. Um, but it, it is interesting because we, yeah. we now have an employee, uh, you know, Doug is a Nebraska fan just to give everybody kind of a, so uh, Allison went to tech, right? So she's a techie. Uh, Maria is an Aggie with me. Uh, you know, that great school in college station, Texas, shout out to college station, Brian, uh, you went to that. What do they call that? That, that, uh, burner school to you flagship, Austin, the flagship, the, the flagship, flagship school. <laughs> yes. Um, and Michael is a BYU grad. And so, and what I have learned so far about the BYU grads is, is they are, they are very passionate about sports that they don't win a lot in. Uh, which is and which is very been, gracious, you know, very interesting. It. But Texas had some issues with Cougars for the last two weeks. You you know the the University of Houston Cougars almost beat you. Uh, really, probably should have beaten you, except for one bad call. There were a lot of bad calls in that game. There was one bad call that changed the outcome of that game, in my opinion, and Texas took the win because of it. So. Uh, there was a holding call on a conversion play earlier in that drive that did not get called. I'm sorry. Did you say something there? There were several holding calls. Did you not hear me? No, I caught you. I caught what you actually said. I'm, I'm acting like the internet stopped there for a minute, but yes, there was the 10, you know, could have been a 10 yard penalty before for the hold that you didn't get the call on, but the spot, man, the spot, like that's a, te- it was a terrible spot. Uh huh. And how does it not get reversed on video review? Like, I, I have no idea how that happens. You had, I don't know, cry about it. Yeah, well, it is what it is. So that was week one of the Cougars. So then the whole week, I'm like, you know what? You had some problems with the Cougars, and you're going to have some problems with the BYU Cougars week two. And you did okay, right? I mean, you, you did If fine. we didn't have the goal line issues, I mean, we would have had 50. Have you already played Kansas? Yeah, we beat Kansas. Okay. Unlike uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, that other school to the north. So as Houston fans... The one that we can both agree. I, I will say, yeah, we'll <laughs> both agree. As Houston fans call uh, call Dallas-Fort Worth, and the they call it Southern Oklahoma. And then the... the Honestly, it's not it's not all that wrong. Do you know the Rangers it was a, have a picture of the state of Texas? It was shocking to me. They have a picture of the state of Texas in their stadium that shows all the major cities in the state of Texas. Do you know they just leave Houston off of the picture? That's the kind of pettiness that I appreciate about sports. Yes. So anywho, moving on. Uh, so to get back to my point, so Michael's texting with you during this game because he's a BYU guy and you're a Texas guy. And what what Michael doesn't know is that you held back because we like Michael and we don't want to lose him as an employee. And so you were not your normal self in that conversation. And I just want the world to know that one day we are going to unleash you in the matchup between Texas and BYU, which isn't really going to happen anymore. Right. Cause yeah. Yeah. So, so we're coming to your territory. You're coming to the sec, uh, which Chad 
doesn't know this yet, but he and I are going to have to sit next to each other at every matchup of A&M versus Texas for the next like 10 years. This, we're just going to have to go. I don't, I don't care what you say. We're going. Okay. I mean, if history is any guide, then we will win about 70% of those games. So, so most recent, if most recent history is any guide, then we will win about half of those games or a little more than half, actually. Well, if current history is our guide, most likely you're going to be paying Jimbo about a million dollars for that game, and he's going to probably lose it. <laughs> there was actually a stat that came out that said Kevin someone had won more games at this point than Jimbo oh, has. He has yeah. So I, I, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. For half the price. For, for half the price, yeah. So, um, But all that being said, uh, shout out to Kevin someone got arrested in Florida last week. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you saw that or not. Uh, he decided another reason that we need walkable communities. He's, he's innocent until proven guilty, but it looks like he was driving while intoxicated. So, um, all that being said, Min- okay. Minimum parking requirements at bars makes no logical sense. Go ahead. Because we're encouraging people to drink yes. at the bar and then drive and home then drive instead home, of just yes. Ubering. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that hundred percent. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Minimum parking requirements in retail in general makes no sense. Agreed. Can we can we say that out loud? Yeah, or anywhere, but yeah. Okay. Certainly. All right. Sorry. I have to get back to this point. I just wanted everybody to know, and I want Michael to hear it on the podcast, that I am going to to tell you it is okay to be your normal college football self, and he should be prepared for what that means. <laughs> it it the highs and lows are incredible. The I love football, I love Texas to the my life is over is amazing. And everybody should experience that. Who's a friend to chat that wraps up, bud. I just, I just do what I can do. <laughs> are you that passionate just, now about soccer? Now that you become a soccer live fan Live my best life. Um, like, are you like no, psycho FC Dallas and soccer is just different. Okay. And we need to talk about this too on maybe the next pod, which is two weeks away um, folks. FYI. Yes. We're, we're legitimately, we have it on the calendar now. Yes. So this is going to be a recurring thing, not just uh, whenever we remember. Um, soccer is just such a different sport that it's a lot of lows and just like not lows, but like just kind of calmness mm-hmm. until like some kind of random run happens. And it's like, oh, my God, we're going to score. No, oh, we didn't score. Right. Um, so <laughs> like in baseball, especially in the playoffs, like every pitch is drama. Yeah. In, in football, you get to certain parts of the game or certain parts of the field where, you know, like you can kind of just the tension builds with every uh, with every play. It's just not quite the same in soccer. Um, so some no, you don't really. And maybe that'll change because next week I will be at a Chelsea game and I've never been to a Premier League game before. And it is an environment that I am looking forward to because it's going to be insane. Mm-hmm. Um we are probably going to lose because we're playing Manchester City and we can never beat Manchester City. And we're also not very good this year. But if you win that um, game against Man City, that's going to be outstanding. Oh, it's going to, I'm, yeah, just yeah. lose my mind. Because yeah, why but not? But you're going to have a kid with you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, two oldest okay. kids will go yeah. with us. So that's going to, that's going to be a blast. So are you going to take them to the pub to celebrate, though, if you win? Got to go to the pub. You got to go, I think, either way. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big, Drown your sorrows I'm a big or... fan of London, man. It's a fun city. I would love to have like a pub for my team. Just mosey on down, watch the game with people who are only like we went to uh, New York, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. 
and there was a big Cowboys Giants game while we were there. Okay. And so like we had to Google and figure out where the where's the Cowboys bar and then go watch the game there. Do you have a because I mean in New York yeah, Do you have a cheers you do you have a cheers in your life? Like do you have like when you walk in they know your name? Uh, do I have a third place? No, there's no third place. Have you seen the the uh, aerial photography, the satellite images of where I live? Yeah, but you don't have There's no place that you can just okay. go. I I have a cheers in my life. You know what my cheers is? I don't know if you want me to Yeah, say it out loud. Well, What's... it's probably Boo-Rays, but it might also be Chipotle. It's Boo-Rays. <laughs> No, well, Chipotle is my lunch. Uh, they they all know my name yeah. at Chipotle at lunch. That's been the uh, new uh, get get healthy routine. It includes Chipotle on a daily basis. But um, no, Boo Rays, man. Boo Rays is that's my spot. I walked in the other day, you know, hanging out, had my kids there, watching a World Series game. It was great. I did not wear blue, by the way. I refuse to wear blue. It's all right. Embrace the hate. Refuse. Just can't do it. Lowest rated World Series, by the way, in the history of MLB. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I'm just pointed out, you know, the Astros are actually more popular than the Rangers. No, I think people watch the Astros. First of all, you play the Dodgers like two years in a row. True. Yeah. Well, no, the Dodgers and no, Phillies. Not two years in a row. Dodgers and Phillies. Yeah. yeah. So like those well, are, we those are both Dodgers big markets as Phillies. opposed to the Diamondbacks is not as big of a market. They also only won 84 games this season. Both of us lost a hundred games last year. Um, but I think that a lot of it is people tuned in to try, like, hoping that the cheating Astros would lose. I, I get it. But I'm saying this to all my friends in DFW. It is unacceptable that you have a baseball team that is this good and you're not putting 30,000 people in the stands on a nightly basis on a weekday. Like, that should happen. I, I'm not sure what the attendance if was. If you want to be a baseball town, it wasn't. I mean, average attendance is probably less than that. It's probably like 25,000. I don't know. I'm not going to look it up right now. We can Google that real quick. Yeah, but like I, I, we went to a number of, you know, because I'm a huge baseball fan. I still go to Rangers games because it's an opportunity for me to watch professional baseball, and that's fun. Um, and we went to a lot, especially weeknight games, and they're just, they're empty. There's just not a lot of people there. It's not Tampa Bay, like where five people yeah, show up. Yeah, for a playoff game. Right. Or Oakland, where like two people show up. Right. So, uh, but, you know, it is what it is. I'm happy for my friends that are Rangers fans, including you, who, by the way, you're a traitor. You were so, born. So here's Houston. the thing that I'm going to disagree with you on. You don't have to be happy for us. Okay. I am not happy for you when the Astros win. I am not happy for you. What about when the What about when the Aggies oh, win? Absolutely not. <laughs> so when when we beat Alabama for the first time, was that like a terrible day for you? Uh, you mean with Johnny Football? It, yeah, with Johnny I was, Football. I, or, I, or we beat him what last year too, right? I'm pretty sure that I sent you last year. No, you did not beat them last year. You lost because you have no offense. And we beat them at some point. Jimbo's Jimbo play era. call. <laughs> I'm like oh, right, fourth yeah. and two at the goal line. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, why'd you remind me of that when when Johnny Manziel beat the uh, Alabama? I think it's like 2012 or something. I remember sending either you and Doug, or I guess maybe just you or my brothers. I sent someone a text, and I was like, okay. He should win the Heisman. Like I conceded it, but I wasn't happy for you. I would never be happy when A and M wins. I'll never be happy. Like there's a big debate recently about should Texas fans pull for Oklahoma as if it really matters. Because like and if I pull for Oklahoma, it's not going to help them win or, or lose. But does it benefit Texas if Oklahoma wins out and we and then we play again in the Big Twelve Championship and then we beat them? Does it benefit them to to beat an undefeated Oklahoma team? 
And I don't care. I want them to lose every week. Well, I mean, they can't lose again. That that will negatively. That will negatively. I know. I, I want them to lose every single week for the rest of the year. I don't Do care. We, if are they choosing us. eight teams for the playoffs this year? Or is it still four? No, four, and then twelve next 12 year. Next year. See, I tell you what, I that is going to be amazing. It is going to be amazing. It, it really is. I'm honest so to go cool. true. It's going to be so fun. Uh, it's going to be six SEC teams, but that's okay. I know you're going to see like you're going to see a lot of matchups that you never get to see, and more than just the four current playoff teams, and probably different matchups too, because those bowls, the New Year's New Year's Six Bowls, all have like conference affiliations. Yeah. So. Um, like I saw some hypothetical brackets for a 12 team and they had like Alabama playing Oklahoma had us playing Mississippi state. Um, it did not have you guys on there. Um, but it had, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and Michael, that's just a tidbit of the type of stuff you're going to get from Chad right there. I'm just going to throw that out there. So there was no, uh, there was no top 12 bracket for, um, the number of five-star decommitments in this recruiting cycle. Uh-huh. But I, I do think that, yeah. by the way, last thing, absolutely last thing. Did you hear what Lane Kiffin had to say about the Aggies in his presser this week? <laughs> no. Lane Kiffin's in. Okay. <laughs> He's at Ole Miss, right? Okay. Yeah. So he says, yeah, it's always interesting to go up against A&M because, you know, they, they should be a top 10 team with the talent that they have. <laughs> wow. That's a shot at Jimbo Fisher if I've ever heard one, right? So... <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, I think that Lane Kiffin is the heir apparent to Mike Leach, except that he's he's more vindictive. He, yeah, Leach was just having fun. Leach was, and Lane Kiffin's kind of a Leach jerk. was having fun, and sometimes he just like would say things and then be like, "Ooh, <laughs> my bad. Didn't didn't know that was going to go down that way," you know. But uh, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, man, Mike Leach was uh, just an incredible football mind, right? And just the information that he would soak in. Uh, there's nothing better than his presser where he talks about the staff member who's about to get married and all the things that they have to get ready for in the marriage. That's one of the greatest Mike Leach pressers. Now, the best one, which the best one is, which I will link to the show notes, is him talking about Halloween candy. <laughs> yeah, we need to go ahead and link that in the show notes. I've seen yeah. that one too. It's it's really yeah. good. Uh, man, just what a what a guy to miss in college football. No longer being there, super sad. But uh, well, that's it, guys. We're gonna wrap it up. Uh, like we said, we're gonna be back in two weeks on Zatcast. Uh, we're going to make this more of a regular thing. Chad has officially put it on my calendar. I would probably blame me more than him, uh, but we're going to get it back and we're going to try to do this thing every, uh, at least two weeks. Uh, it could become almost weekly. We could get a little aggressive here as we go and uh, throw some shows out there. Let's, so let's walk before we run. Let's walk before we run. Well, Chad, Nick Cage in the background. It's great to hang out with you. And, uh, you know, we'll see you next time. See you, Pat. 